Greetings. Good morning. It is good to be in God's house. It is good to be with God's people, whether in person or electronically. Uh, we are here today, um, but our, our uh, policy for inclement weather is that we will hopefully let you know early on Sunday mornings, as early as we possibly can, whether or not we are meeting. And as long as I'm in town, I will still come down and make sure that there is at least a recording of a service, even if we are unable to meet. Um, I have four-wheel drive, so I can get back up if I need to. Getting down is not an issue. So, um, But no, we will have some type of service uh, in inclement weather either way. Other announcements that we have, um, elders will be meeting next Sunday at 3 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Um, part of this meeting is uh, my annual review. So if you have uh, something that you would like brought up at my annual review, please let one of the elders know. It will be handled confidentially. Um, And uh, so please be in prayer for our meeting next week. Are there any other announcements? I would like to say on behalf of Michelle and her family, thank you for all the prayers, for all the condolences um, in the loss of her grandmother, Melba. Um, We had a good trip down there, um, a good graveside service last Thursday, and um, uh, there will be a memorial service this afternoon uh, in Lakeland, so please continue to keep uh, Melba's family in your prayers. But thank you for all the cards and for all the outreaches of condolences. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 16, the great resurrection psalm. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their names upon my lips. Lord, you have assigned me a portion in my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you have not, because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these promises here that you have secured us, that we rest secure in you, and that as we gather in your presence, we can do so without fear because of the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the application of that work to our lives by the Holy Spirit. And so it is through Him that we gather here, it is through Him that we worship, and it is through Him that we know that You are here and are gathered with us and will accept our worship as honorable and as glorifying. Lord, how privileged we are to be able to worship you through the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How privileged we are to be able to worship you through giving of our tithes and offerings. How privileged we are to be able to listen to your word and hear it taught. And how privileged we are to worship you through prayer, specifically 
through the prayer that you taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We have read the truths of Psalm 16. Now we get to sing the truths of Psalm 16 to move them from our head to our heart as we talked about in Sunday school today. So please take Bible songs, that green book there before you, and turn to number 26 uh, in the front. Uh, Immortality and Resurrection. And so let us stand and proclaim the, the glory of the resurrection through Bible Song 26.
Amen. Please be seated. As we enter God's presence to worship, we should be confronted with the reality of our sins, with the reality of our need for a Savior, of our need for forgiveness. And so let us join together to confess our sins. Eternal God, our Judge and Redeemer, we confess that we have tried to hide from you, for we have done wrong. We have lived for ourselves and apart from you. We have turned from our neighbors and refused to bear the burdens of others. We have ignored the pain of the world and passed by the hungry, the poor, and the oppressed. In your great mercy, forgive our sins and free us from selfishness that we may choose your will and obey your commandments. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Our New Testament reading today, our scripture reading today, comes from the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the churches of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men, in their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Now is the time in our worship service where we consider our worship of God through the giving of tithes and offerings. And so prayerfully consider how you may support and worship, support God's work and worship Him through your giving.
God and Father above, we are reminded that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you provide for your people so that they might live in this world, so that they might provide for themselves. And out of the abundance that you have, out of the abundance that you give, you call us to give a portion to you, our tithes and our offerings. It's a worship. It's a gift. It is an operation of gratitude on our behalf toward you for all that you have given to us. And so may you be honored and glorified by what is given today. And may it be used so that your glory, so that your gospel might be proclaimed, might shine forth into the darkness of our community, our county, our state, our country, and our world. And may you be utterly glorified by what we do with what is given today. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please remain standing and take your hymn book, Breathe Upon Me, O Breath of God, a prayer that we lift to God. Hymn number 235, excuse me, 235. And let us stand and offer this prayer to the Lord through our singing of this hymn. Please be seated. Well, I have a couple updates. Um, please be praying for Bill Harris and his family. 
Um, Bill and Rita both came down with uh, the COVID virus. Um, um, they seem to be on the mend. Bill had a pretty easy time of it. Rita a little bit harder, but they're still on the on the mend. But uh, just pray for them as they recuperate. And there's some other health issues within their family that they ask for prayer for as well. Um, Emily, I'll put you on the spot. Do you have an update on Natalie? Okay. Okay, great. So we'll continue to pray for her as she waits for her second round of chemo that she continues to do well. Um, so several of you know Duncan Rankin. He's a member of our presbytery. He's also a, uh, a professor at Erskine Seminary. Um, he has a student um, who is in a country that is very antagonistic to Christianity. Um, but he is seeking to get, the student is seeking to get training through Erskine Theological Seminary online uh, so that he might train other pastors in his area. Um, this man is in his 40s and recently uh, was given, uh, ended up in the hospital in a country that is not only antagonistic to Christians, but also has very weak health care. Um, and but has been diagnosed with uh, uh, coronary artery disease. And so please be praying for this man uh, and for his healing. Um, just in the interest of his safety, we'll leave him unnamed. Um, but be, please be praying for him, for his healing, and also that he might um, be able to continue to train ministers where he lives. Um, so any other prayer requests? All right, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father above, we do thank you so much for the power of your gospel. We thank you that it has the power to bring dead sinners to life. Uh, Paul tells us earlier in his book of Ephesians that we were at one time dead in our trespasses and sins, completely unable to make a response to you, completely unable to turn toward you and to seek your goodness, to seek uh, your pleasure, to seek your will. We, we do good things. We, we do things that on the surface um, appear to conform to your compassion, appear to conform to your justice, appear to conform to your law. Because we have that law written upon our heart. But deep down inside, in our heart, we do those things oftentimes for our own glory, for our own honor, for our own advancement in the eyes of the world, rather than for your glory, for your honor, and because we love you. And Lord, the reality is we cannot do those things for you until the Holy Spirit takes the work of the gospel and the cross, enters our hearts, and resurrects dead sinners, gives us hearts, uh, flesh, hearts of flesh, by taking out our hearts of stone and replacing them with a heart that beats in tune with your will and with your glory. And Lord, that is the power that gathers us here together today. The power that, that allows us to desire to want to be in your presence and to worship with your people in a way that honors and glorifies you. And, and Lord, we stumble and we fall. And our worship sometimes is half-hearted. 
And yet we're reminded of that picture in Revelation where the angel takes the incense rising from the earth, that incense that is the prayers of the saints. He stops by the altar to fill and to sanctify them as he carries those prayers to you. Lord, we know that that altar that, that acts as intercession for us and for our prayers is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a picture of the work that he does in your throne room, redeeming, sanctifying our prayers so that they might be acceptable to you, sanctifying our worship so that it might be acceptable to you, sanctifying our life and our work so that you see it as good as glorifying to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the power of the gospel that has met us in such a way that we have been raised from the death of our sins into the newness of life and allows us to approach your throne as children approaching their dear father. And so, Lord, today we approach your throne with our prayers, with our petitions, with our thanksgivings, with our joys, and with our sorrows. We are thankful that Natalie is at home, that she is doing well, that she is um, comfortably awaiting her next treatment. And we ask that you continue to provide this strength to her and to her family. Lord, we know that she needs a miracle. Uh, even with these treatments, Lord, this, the prognosis is not long-term. And so we ask for a miracle in Natalie's life. And we ask that she see you as the source of that miracle and use the time that she is given to serve you and to serve you well. We thank you that Bill McClung um, is doing better. And we ask that you continue to be with him and lift him up. We bring to you our concerns. We bring Bill Harris and Rita Harris to you today and, and ask that you would continue to help them in healing from this coronavirus and that you would um, lift them up and strengthen them. Uh, so that they might be about your work within their family and also within the church community. We pray for uh, the rest of his family and some health issues that are going on there, and we ask that you lift them up and provide healing um, uh, in those issues. And we know that you hear these prayers and answer them. And so we ask that you would bring healing where you uh, are glorified. We pray for Mandy and her continued treatments and ask that you would continue to be with her and lift her up. We pray for Don and his continued recovery. We pray for Cohen and just the many difficulties that he has been through. We pray for the Mankins and ask that you would lift them up and sustain them and for the Dodds and the Ratliffs and all those within our, our family here at the church that are um, struggling with the difficulties before them. We think especially as well of our shut-ins. We think of Rosalie and Tommy and Mike. We think of Jim and Mariana and Letha and Eddie, and we ask that you be with each of them and provide comfort to them in their loneliness. Provide uh, a measure of your presence so that they know that they are not fully alone. And Lord, help us to reach out to them. We pray for Nathan today in Charlottesville as he and that that church plant gather before you as they gather today to worship. We ask that you would um, uh, provide uh, your spirit there, that you would give Nathan the words to speak uh, that will honor and glorify you and that will provide uh, maturity and unity and love for the saints. 
We pray for Mitchell at Fort Sill as he is in the next step of his chaplain training and his chaplain ministry. And we ask that you would sustain him in that. And Lord, as he is in an area um, that oftentimes can be antagonistic to the gospel and yet at the same time has people that are desperately reaching out for it. We ask that you protect him in that ministry and make him effective there in the military. We pray for our government. We pray for our federal government. We pray for our state government and for our local governments and ask that you fill them with wisdom, direct them and guide them to govern in such a way that brings honor and glory to you and to govern in such a way that provides a peaceful context for your people to worship. And Lord, help us to lift them up to you more and more. I pray for the leaders of this church, our elders and deacons, for the elders as they seek to uh, serve the ministry of word and prayer. I ask that you protect them from the attacks of the evil one and that you sustain them in their family lives and in their church life and in their work life as they seek to serve and to honor you. For our deacons, as they seek to serve in the ministry of the table, as they seek to uh, manage your resources and to take care of uh, the flock here, the physical needs of the flock here, as well as people in the community, I ask that you sustain them and strengthen them and lift them up. Open up avenues of ministry for this church um, to reach out into our community through the diaconal work. And Lord, I lift up to you today the persecuted church. Lord, as difficult as things seem to be getting for us around here, we still have it relatively easy in the United States of America, and we thank you for that. But Lord, there are churches uh, and countries around the world that um, your people are in physical danger for gathering to worship and for for seeking to learn more about you. I, I lift up this man, um, this friend of Dr. Rankin, and I ask that you provide healing for him, but I also ask that you provide protection for him um, as he seeks to take these classes, as he seeks to teach other ministers. And I ask that you would give power to the gospel in this country, in the country where this man ministers, and that it would um, bear much fruit even in the midst of the hostilities. And Lord, show us the way forward even here in this country where, as we still have the freedom to gather to worship, uh, this country seems to be moving in a direction that is far more antagonistic against your gospel and against your church. So help us be strong. Help us stand for truth. Help us not cave in to the lives, uh, to the lies of the culture around us. And give power to the gospel here as well in this country. Because it's only through hearts being changed that, our, that anybody has any hope in this world. Governments come and go. Countries come and go. But the gospel remains forever. And so we ask that you would give power to the gospel around the world, both in the persecuted church and also in the church here in America. And help us to stand firm on the truths of that gospel. But one of the truths of that gospel is that there is comfort from our Lord and Savior. So I pray for those families who have lost. I pray for the Anderson family and her extended, Teresa's extended family. I pray for the Arndt family 
and ask that you would give them comfort in the midst of their loss. And so, Lord, I I pray that you would speak into their loss and offer uh, the promise of of the tears being wiped away by you and help us to live in the hope of that promise. And Lord, I would like to take a moment of special privilege as I pray here today, as I consider that uh, two days from today will mark 12 years since the day me and my family hopped into a truck and into our car and our van and headed to West Virginia. And I thank you for the ministry that you have allowed me to have here and the ministry that you will continue to allow me to have here for as long as you find your favor in this ministry. And I, and I pray that that's a long time. I thank you for the men and the women of this church, people that have come, people that have left, people that you have given me opportunity to minister to. And I pray for the people who are still here in this church and who will continue to come to this church throughout the years that you call me to ministry here. And I ask that you would um, do a special work of the gospel in their lives, draw them closer to you. And Lord, I cannot thank you enough for the love that this family has shown me and my family over these 12 years. And I ask that you would help us to continue to love one another and to continue to serve one another in a way that honors and glorifies you. Lord, none of us would be here without you. None of us would be comfortable in your presence without the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And none of us would have access to that work except through the application of that work by the Holy Spirit. And so we cry out to you in our prayers. We do that in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We are going to take what I am planning to be a short break from the book of Proverbs. Um, and as we look uh, for at least three weeks, maybe a week or two more, but for a minimum of three weeks on service and spiritual gifts and things like that. And then we will return to the book of Proverbs after that. Um, I, I am kind of taking some time over these three weeks as well to, to, to pray over um, how we go through the rest of the book of Proverbs, whether we continue at the pace that we're at or whether we switch up the pace a little bit in different sections. But um, uh, so be, please be in prayer for that over the last three weeks. But the as the Spirit called me to take a little bit of a break from Proverbs, I believe He called me as well to look at spiritual gifts. And so that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. Today will kind of be a broad overview, and then the next two weeks we'll look at some of the spiritual gifts, what they mean, how they manifest, and um, touch on some ways in which we can help to identify those gifts in our lives, which will begin that process um, today. But we are going to begin in 1 Peter chapter 4. Just so you are aware, we are also going to be in Ephesians 4. Touch a little bit on 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, and then also in Romans 12. So just be prepared as we uh, do jump around a little bit today. But we are going to start in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body... Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. 
For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And this is where we'll focus most of our attention today in these next few verses. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for your word. Your word reveals to us your will. It shows us the path that we should walk. It it shows us the light and the lamp that you have given to us. It is the light and the lamp that you have given to us. So Lord, as we consider over these next few weeks uh, service and how you have gifted us to serve within the church, illuminate your word so that we might see and illuminate our hearts as well so that we might see where we fit into the body and how we as the body and as the individual members of the body might work. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If the statistics are true, 20% of the people in most volunteer organizations do 80% of the work. If there are 50 people in a volunteer organization, 10 of them are actually doing the vast majority of the work in that organization. Now, if we were to take Paul's metaphor of the church being the body of Christ and apply that statistic to Paul's metaphor from Romans, from 1 Corinthians, from Ephesians, and a little bit from 1 Peter, the sad reality is that Christ's body is a paraplegic at best bordering on being a quadriplegic. Sometimes people do not serve because they do not know what is going on in God's church or where they fit into that picture. And the good news is that God has given us at least three things to help alleviate that issue. First, He has given us His Word. He has revealed to us His will and how we are to fit into that will through His Word. Secondly, he has gifted some people to be pastors and teachers or pastor teachers, depending upon how you you interpret that passage in Ephesians, and we'll get into that at a later date. But pastors and teachers who are given the task to equip the rest of the body for the work that God has called us to do. And thirdly, he has gifted each and every member of the body with at least one gift that enables them to serve in a way that benefits the whole body and brings honor and glory to God. 
And so with these three things in mind, this particular pastor teacher is going to open up the word for you and attempt to point each of you to the gift that God has given you in order to take part in the work he is doing in our community and in our world. And so today we're going to look at the big picture of it. We're going to look at what our spiritual gifts kind of in a, I'm not going to, we'll work on defining certain spiritual gifts over the next two weeks, but we're going to begin by looking at what exactly are spiritual gifts. We're going to look at some things that God gives us in his words that govern our usage of the spiritual gifts. And we're going to touch a little bit on some guidance as to how you can figure out what your spiritual gifts are. So first, what are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts, firstly, are gifts of God's grace, both in our passage from Ephesians earlier today and also in our passage from Romans, Romans 12, verse 6. We hear this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Not only does God give us the grace of salvation, but God gives us the grace to have gifts and to work within his church. This is why we refer to these things as spiritual gifts. Now, God has commanded us, God has commanded the church to be about the work of making disciples in this world. Matthew 28, go and while you are going, make disciples of the nations. And that is a daunting task if it were up to me. But thanks be to God, it is not up to me. It is up to the church. It is a mission given to the church, carried out by the individuals of the church. But that could be daunting for us as well. Because how do we go to the nations? What do we do? How do I make disciples? Well, the good news is that God has not only left us with other people in this task of making disciples, but he has gifted each and every one of us in a way that will help the church to make disciples. He has given us gifts and he calls us to use those gifts in a way, in a unified way that leads the church into the role of making disciples. Secondly, not only are the gifts gifts of God's grace, but they are Trinitarian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul tells the Corinthians that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. This is in the middle of a passage, or excuse me, at the beginning of a passage where Paul is dealing with the church of Corinth's improper pursuit of certain spiritual gifts. We'll touch on that here in a few moments. But in the middle of this, he's describing the gifts as being an act of the Trinity. The Spirit gives gifts. Using a, a synonym there, it's the Jesus, the Lord, who offers service, gives works service in his church. And then God, the Father, is also at work through the church, through the gifts. We we oftentimes uh, think of the spiritual gifts being something that only the Holy Spirit does. And I think that is much to our detriment because in doing that, we pursue certain uh, uh, very visible gifts, thinking that I need to prove I have the Holy Spirit by manifesting certain gifts. 
But the gifts that we are given are Trinitarian nature, much like our salvation is Trinitarian. The gifts that we are given are Trinitarian and the gifts are used by God and given by God to his church in order to build his kingdom. Over the the years that I have been paying attention and in ministry, um, there's been much argument over what the role of the church is and how the mission of the church goes about. The mission of the church is to make disciples. The mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel. The mission of the church is to make converts in the world around us and to, to show our love for each other in lifting up and in supporting each other. And God does that through his church. God, in his infinite wisdom, which sometimes to me does not seem like infinite wisdom because I know myself well enough to know that this is just a crazy idea. God has called people like you and me to be the means by which he builds his kingdom on this earth. I think Paul even goes so far earlier in the book or later on in 2 Corinthians to describe us as as broken, cracked pots trying to carry a glorious message. But thanks be to God, through his grace, he has gifted me, he has gifted you in such a way that he is glorified in the way in which we bring about his kingdom upon this earth. And so what are spiritual gifts? They are a Trinitarian gift of God by which he does his work of building his church in the world. Let me say that again. They are a Trinitarian gift of God to his people by which he builds his kingdom in this world. And not only does God give us tell us what the spiritual gifts are, he also gives us some guidelines for using our spiritual gifts. And there's there are four of them that I want to focus on. The first one is love. 1 Corinthians 12 introduces one of the controversies that Paul had to deal with in the city of Corinth, in the church in Corinth. And it's the fact that they were pursuing certain spiritual gifts for the wrong reasons. They were, they were pursuing the very visible gifts so that they would be important, so that they would be uh, in front of people, so that they could be heard in the work of the church. And Paul begins the correction here by, by talking about one body having many parts or many members or many limbs. The same word is used for all three there. You know, not everybody can be the head of the church. That role's already taken by Jesus. He is the head of the church. And the rest of us fit into the body and work as the body to bring about God's work in this world. Think about it. If you, you had somebody that walked into the, the church that was just a giant leg, you'd think it was odd, would you not? But that's what we do sometimes in the church. We all think, hey, I want to be the guy up front. I want to be the guy that everybody sees, that everybody knows, or the gal. I don't want to leave you all out. I want to be important in the church, and so I am going to pursue this gift. You may not be gifted for that gift, and you may be pursuing it for the wrong reasons. And so Paul gives a corrective in 1 Corinthians 13. 
No, Paul was not specifically talking about marriage when he gave us 1 Corinthians 13. He was talking about how we use our spiritual gifts. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves or perseveres. It preserves as well, but it perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Tongues, they will be still. Knowledge, it will pass away. Love should guide how we pursue and use our spiritual gifts. Thanks be to God, I interned with a man that cared more about how I love the church than how well I preach to the church. Thank God I had people that came to me when I said, you know what, I just really don't want to be a pastor. And they said, well, you're the perfect person for it then. Not to, not to toot my own horn here, because there are times when I allow your compliments to go to my head. But the fact is here that it's more important that we love and that we seek our gifts because we love God and love others than it is that we seek the gifts to be important. One of the problems in Corinth was they wanted those the, the tongues and the prophecy. And Paul says, if you don't love anybody, who cares? Who cares how eloquently you how eloquent you are if you don't love the people you're teaching? Who cares how expressive you are, how charismatic you are in in the in the good tense of that word? Who who cares how big your church is if you don't love them? And in love, we should be willing to accept the gifts that God gives us, even if they're not gifts that put us out in front. And really, love flows through the other three guidelines that we're going to look at as well. I mean, love is, is highlighted in Ephesians 4, uh, in Romans 12, the section after the spiritual gifts in Romans, section, or Romans 12 is a section on love. And Peter even mentions it throughout his letter. If you don't get the other three things I'm talking about, make sure that you pursue and use your gifts because you love God and you love others. In Ephesians 4, the passage we read earlier today, Paul talks about the spiritual gifts in the context of unity within the body of Christ. Now, we each have a diversity of gifts, but we have a unity in our mission. I shouldn't be pursuing my gift to go my direction. And you shouldn't be pursuing your gift to go your directions. We would have like 55 different directions if each and every one of us in this church pursued our gifts for our own mission. But we are unified around God's mission. And God's mission is that the gospel, the words of Jesus Christ, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we should pursue our gifts in unity. The church is to be doing God's work of calling the lost and making disciples. 
The individual members of the church should be gathered around that unifying commission from God and using their gifts to move forward into that. Romans 12, most of us are familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Death to self is the guiding principle from Romans chapter 12. In the next uh, next six verses there, Paul goes and talks about different spiritual gifts. I use my gift in love. I use it for a unified purpose, and I use it to show that I have died to myself, that I have set myself aside. And being alive to Christ, I am able to be a living sacrifice to God. Using your spiritual gift is going to be work, brothers and sisters. Many times it's going to be difficult work. I think Kent Hughes was mainly speaking to pastors and teachers when he said this, but he said that our labor on behalf of the church should be exhausting. There should be nights where, as Charles Spurgeon said, he just fell into bed. And while I believe Kent Hughes was directing that to pastors and teachers, there is a a level of truth for people who have other gifts in the church as well. We should set aside our needs and work for the church. Work for God, not necessarily the church. We work through the church, but we work for God. Using our spiritual gifts is how we set aside our own wants and agenda and show that we are working for God's glory. And then finally, 1 Peter chapter 4. He only lists two gifts there, and, and those are the, the categories as we go over the next few weeks. Those are the categories that we're going to use for the gifts that we look at. Um, but that is in the context of setting aside the things of this world and pursuing holiness. And so our use of our spiritual gifts is guided by our sanctification. The more we work toward our spiritual gifts, the more God exposes our sinfulness to us. The more we are sanctified, the more we pursue our spiritual gifts. The more God exposes our sinfulness to us, the more we are sanctified, the more we pursue our spiritual gifts or gift. And so the usage, the pursuit of our spiritual gifts are guided by love, by unity, by death to self, and by sanctification. So we saw what spiritual gifts are. They are Trinitarian gifts of God's grace by which he carries out his work in the world. We have seen the guidelines for spiritual for using and pursuing our spiritual gifts. So how do I figure out what my spiritual gifts are? Now, if you would ask me that question two, three, four years ago, I would have handed you a four or five page long, four or five sheets of paper that had a spiritual gifts inventory on it. 100, 120 questions that are based upon interest, and you rank them from zero to one, each question. Uh, based to zero is I have absolutely no interest in what that sentence is talking about. You know, five, zero to one, that's odd. Zero to five. Five being I am highly interested in what this sentence is talking about. And at the end of it, you add everything up, 
And it tells you that, you know, questions 1, 5, 10, 15, and 20 are all related to this gift. So add all these up. And whichever one of these things you ranked highest in are your spiritual gifts. And you could have up to three. There's two problems with that. The first, we're smart people. Okay? Each and every one of us in this room, each and every one of us listening today are smart people. Personality test. Have you ever taken a personality test? Whether it's Briars, Migs, Briar, Myers Briggs, that's what it is. Whether it's Myers Briggs, whether it's the, the, the color of ministry, whether it's DISC or, or whatever, Florence Littowers. Um, how many of you have taken that test the first time you took it? You looked at it and you said, you know what, I don't like that one. And you retook the test and manipulated it to get the personality that you liked. I will raise my hand to say I am one of those people. What's that? Yeah, it was probably right the first time. Oh, yeah. Spiritual gifts inventories can be the same way. We're smart people. We can read those sentences. We can answer those questions. And when we get to the end, we go, ooh, I don't like that one. Let me take this again. I'm going to fix this. The other thing is, is this allows us to determine our gifts outside the context of service in the church. I take my test. I do it by myself in the privacy of my home. I determine what my gifts are, and then I may or may not tell anybody what they are. And then if I don't tell anybody, I don't have to use them. I can just say, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. Thomas Schreiner wrote a book on spiritual gifts. And he says it is far more important to use your gift than it is to know what your gift is. So how do we use our gift without knowing what our gift is? Well, to paraphrase the former slogan of a sports clothing company, just do something. We find our gift best by serving within the church. The body of Christ is called to interact with the world according to the gifting of each each member or each part or each limb. Look at the ministries of the church and ask yourself, what here interests me? Talk to the elders, talk to me, give it a shot, and you'll find out pretty quickly whether you're gifted in that area. While I may have the gift of teaching, it definitely does not manifest itself in early elementary, elementary, middle school, and just a little bit in high school teaching. I found out really quick trying to teach some of those grade levels that I'm not gifted with this age group. Find what you like to do within the church and do it. And when you begin to serve in that capacity, when you begin to find a joy that you were not expecting to find in that area, you will know whether or not you are gifted in that area. And you can begin to serve in a way that doesn't need a name, doesn't need a label. Now, I want to caveat this here for just a second. There are some things that every member of the church is called to do. And yet some people are gifted for it, especially prayer. We are all called to pray. But some people are gifted to prayer. 
We are all called to evangelize. But some people are gifted to evangelism. We are all called to hospitality. But some people are gifted with hospitality. Just because you don't like to do those types of things that we're all called to do and God has gifted in his grace some people to do them well doesn't excuse you from doing them. And there will be times when you are called to an extraordinary duty for a short period of time that God will gift you for for that short period of time and then move you back into your normal, average, everyday duty of serving the church. The main things when it comes to spiritual gifts is that God will place you in an area that he has gifted you for. And then after a period of time serving, if you come to me or to one of the elders and say, you know what, I think I'm gifted for this, then we might hand you a spiritual gifts inventory to see if maybe there's a little bit of correlation there. But I truly think that it's more important that it's something that you find joy in, that you do well, um, and that you have a burning desire to do more of. So what are spiritual gifts? They are Trinitarian gifts of God's grace by which he empowers the church to do his work in the world. They are governed by love. They are governed by unity. They are governed by self, death to self, self-denial, and they are governed by sanctification. And finally, how do we discover our spiritual gifts? Just do something. Over the next two weeks, we're going to look at nine or ten of the spiritual gifts under the two headings given to us from 1 Peter 4, speaking and service. We're actually going to look at them in the opposite order. We're going to look at service gifts first and then speaking gifts. I may be wrong, but sometimes I think the speaking gifts are pretty easy to see and to know what they are. They're not all just standing in the pulpit preaching. Um, But the service gifts are those gifts that don't always get seen, so I want to look at them first and to explain some of them first. And the four main passages that we looked at today, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Nice little little thing there, two twelves, two fours, um, will be the text that we use to look at these gifts. Some gifts are unique in text, other gifts have overlap, but I I truly think there's only nine or ten gifts that we're going to look at. We will not be considering uh, what many people call the sign gifts. Once again, if, if, if they are still active within the church, you will know that you have them. You don't need to be, um, uh, you don't need to take a test or figure it out. Um, and you can ask me about that later on if you'd like a little bit better, um, understanding of that. But as we consider the list and the gifts in the list, we need to keep a couple things in mind more than what we've already looked at. As I mentioned earlier, it is more important to use your gift than to know your gift. Ask yourself, am I serving the church beyond being here on a Sunday morning? And am I enjoying the service? Am I finding joy in the service? As you seek to use your gift, remember that you're not alone. Your gift is a manifestation of the power of the Father that is yours through the work of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God has placed you in a body that is working toward the same commission that God has given them. And is there to help you. If you think you want to teach, but you don't know where to start, let's talk. If you think you want to serve in a hospitality uh, type service role, 
and you don't know where to start, just let's talk. You're not in this alone. God's with you, and he has given you the church as well. And God is not empowering you for a parachute drop military operation. God is already at work in the world today. God is doing things in Fairly. God is doing things in Lewisburg. God is doing things in Ronsevert. And he has given you gifts so that you can just walk right alongside of him and reap the benefits of the work that he is doing. You're not alone in this. But I'll leave you with a warning as well. Esther chapter 4. Haman has gone to the king, has convinced the king to sign a decree that on a certain day, all the Jews are open game to be murdered. Esther is the king's favorite wife. Her uncle, her cousin, Mordecai, comes to her and says, you need to do something about this. And we all know that favorite verse, that, that famous verse in Esther chapter 4. For such a time as this, you have been placed here. But prior to that, do you remember what Mordecai says? He says, God is going to save Israel. And he has put you in a place to do it. If you don't, he'll still do it, but without you. Brothers and sisters, God is doing work in our community, in our state, in our country, and in our world. And he's going to do it either with us, through using our gifts, or he's going to do it in spite of us, ignoring our gifts. By the grace of God, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, may we use our gifts. Let us pray. God and Father above, we do thank you for your gifts of grace. Lord, we could not have them without the work of your Son in our lives. Uh, Were we not converted, we would not have spiritual gifts. But since we are converted, you have given each of us a gift, a gift to use for your glory and for your honor in the pursuit of your kingdom in this world. And so, Lord, remind us of those things. Remind us of the work that you are about in this community, in this world, and remind us that we are empowered by you to walk alongside you in that work and to reap a harvest through the use of our gifts. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we leave this week, we are led by our eternal King, He leads us into our family life. He leads us into our work life. He leads us into our church life. And we are to follow. And so let us sing and profess that truth through song by turning to hymn number 332. Lead on, O King Eternal. So let us stand and sing hymn 332.
As you go this week, as you follow the King Eternal, take this blessing upon you. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Amen.